There ain't nothing in the world that I like better than digging and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a ripe one, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, need them in the summer. All winter without them is a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out, pick me up digging. Yeah, yes indeed. Time for Yard and Garden Live here on 1310 AM KGMT and Old Red 99.5. Uh, it's 90 minutes, so we get together and try to answer uh, maybe some landscape problems for you. Uh, generally, Extension Educator Gage County, Nicole Stoner, is here. Uh, she's off today, so we done brought in the big guns, my friend. Oh, we got not one, but two highfalutin extension educators from the big county and the big cities right lancaster and cass county we have uh sarah browning is here lancaster extension uh agent and katie king from cass county as well hi ladies good morning good morning oh. glad to be here today yeah man it's nice to see you uh um yeah, and you did this last year, so... I did, yeah. I sat in for Nicole um, one day last year as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. so you got no problems, right? No. Perfect. It'll, it'll go just great. Good, good mm -hmm. deal. And this is your second time? I think so. Yeah, yeah I think I was here last year. I'm trying All to remember. Right. I know. Yeah, it's too bad we don't have um, a video camera here in the in the studios, mm -hmm. and we could do Facebook Live, number one. Right. And you guys got great faces for the video. <laughs> we just shoot right over my shoulder. Perfect. Thank you, Randy. you bet. You bet. <laughs> let nice. me uh, let me make a pitch for phone calls here. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383 is our phone number. If you'd like to call and ask a question, uh, please do. 402-729-3383. So, uh, in Lancaster and Cass County, what's going on with uh, the extension agents the agencies there? kind of questions are you fielding this time of year? Yeah, you know, the phones are really starting to, to heat up now. You know, with um, the warm weather that we had previously last week, um, people are just itching to get out into the garden. So mm -hmm. we're starting to get lots and lots of questions these days. So anyway, we hope people will give us a call uh, this morning and ask their questions too. But um, so Katie, you know, one of the questions I've been getting mostly right now is related to lawns. You know, people are, people are anxious to get out, get started with their lawns. Um, one question that I got uh, last week was about mowing the lawn, and people wanted to know if they should if they should lower their mowing height and really just just try to clean the lawn up a little bit and just you know mow it down really low. And so typically we would say no on that. Right. Yeah. Right. That would be a That's, big no. <laughs> yeah, you're going to open your yard to a lot more weeds. Exactly. If you open up that turf surface, it's going to it's going to warm that soil up. It's going to let those weeds germinate, and so that could give you uh, problems. Right. So it, we, we typically just tell people, you know, pick a mowing height, and usually we recommend a slightly taller mowing height, three to three and a half inches yeah. for uh, three and a half inches for tall fescue, three inches for Kentucky bluegrass, and just stay with it all season long. Um, you know, I think one thing that people don't realize about mowing is that, so there's a direct correlation between the height of your grass and the depth of, it, of that turf's root system. So the taller you mow, the deeper your turf will grow roots, which is, which is an important thing. Um, we want those deep roots, especially as the lawn goes into the hot part of uh, July and August, because it'll have a larger area to pull moisture from. So 
this is the time of year now when we're growing those roots and you need to have that taller mowing height to allow that to happen. And you know what's amazing? I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I have because I, I, I don't set my mower. I leave it in the road gear okay. height. You mm-hmm. know, it's just mm-hmm. all the way up and hooked. And it's not like you're mowing that, you know, you're not mowing any more, any more often at the high mm-hmm. than you do at the low. Right. So you're not really, you know, if you go, well, I'd do that, but I don't like to mow. Mm-hmm. You're really not, you know, you're not gaining anything exactly. by right. shaving mm-hmm. it off down there. Right. Uh, so you're making more work for yourself later. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> they so. did some research a few years ago up at the, um, the UNL Turf Research Area up by Mead, and they just were looking at mowing height alone and effect on infestation of crabgrass. And they found that just raising your mowing height to a slightly higher setting had a, had a very significant impact on, on crabgrass infestation. And I can't remember the exact numbers right now, so I can't remember what percentage it was. But I remember a picture of this turf um, that had been mowed shorter, and you could see all of the light green leaf blades of the, the crabgrass. And it looked like about a 50-50% crabgrass f- uh, turf grass stand. And on the area where they had raised the mowing height, there was really almost no discernible crabgrass. So going back to what Katie said earlier, if you mow shorter, you're opening up that turf, that soil surface. You're allowing light to penetrate. You're, you're opening up the opportunity for that crabgrass seed to germinate. And so that simple practice of raising the mowing height can make a huge impact on weed mm-hmm. problems. Yeah. No. Uh, great point. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it's uh, a, once you get used to it, and this is like right. it's like you've been doing it all your life. Uh, there's really no no need to go any shorter right. for sure. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. What else? So you know, I guess the one other thought related to mowing then is as you're getting started with your mowing this year, make sure you sharpen that leaf bla- that mower blade. Yes, having a nice clean yes. cut on those leaf blades has a big impact on on a lot of different things related to the turf. So if you if you don't know, uh, can you look at your grass? Give uh, give give us some ideas on you what can. you'd see if if it's sharp and what you'd see if it needs to be sharpened. Sure. Yeah. If you if you pull the blades, you'll see, you know, if. if if your blade is sharp, you'll see a clean cut, but you'll start to see some kind of fraying, and even like maybe a couple days later, you'll start to see some like browning at that frayed area where mm-hmm. um, it's cut. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, visibly, you can tell. You can tell. You can. You, yeah. can. you definitely can see it. Yeah. And just like Katie said, you know, after you mow with the, with a dull mower blade, a couple of days later. You can look out over the turf and you can see this this kind of slight browning at the tip where the leaf has been ripped by that dull blade. And it, it does make a difference on how the turf looks. Plus, that's a huge wound. That ripped area at the surface of the leaf is a huge wound, which really opens up your turf for um, disease infections. Yes. So the fungal leaf spot diseases, they can infect easily through those ripped leaf blades. So there again, a simple practice, just sharpen your mower blade before you get going this year. Um, is a great way to get off on a good foot. All right. Yes. Hey, listen, we've got a call. Okay. Let's uh, let's go to talk with Kathy calling in from Hickman. Hi, Kathy. Why, hi. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Do you have a question? So I, yes, I don't have a question on the lawn. I have a question on um, peat. I actually uh, dug some can of bulbs and put them in peat, put them in a covered container, actually a large garbage can, but when I opened it this spring now, um, the bulbs were all moldy, 
and the peat was um, not good. And I'm just wondering, can I stir that peat into my flower garden dirt, um, or is there a mold that I, so I should just throw everything out? So do the cannabulbs still look nice and firm to you? Do they look like they're healthy um, enough for you to plant them? Well, that's, yes. I mean, they do feel firm, but they're, they have mold. And I didn't know either if I could clean them up or if I, you know. um, So they do. They they didn't turn to mush and they didn't turn to dust. Okay. But they're they're moldy. So so my thoughts on this um, is that this is probably a, an opportunistic type of fungi, since you haven't actually had any rot on the canna bulbs or any, um, like a soft rot or something like this, that it, it probably is just a opportunistic fungi, and you probably can reuse that peat. So if you wanted to use it as a soil amendment out in your garden, just go ahead and, and mix it into the existing soil. I might not put it in a container, so if you're, you're going to put together some new container plantings, I might not use it there. I, I would just use it in a garden bed. But I don't think that there's going to be any really harmful impacts to that. I don't know. Katie, do you have any other thoughts? I don't. Um, okay. No, I was just thinking about the moisture content in, right. the, in the container. And so that when you mentioned opportunistic, that's exactly what crossed my mind. Yeah. Um, so it's probably not harmful, but okay. putting it in another closed environment like a container is probably not the best idea. Yeah. So when you okay. want to overwinter your cannas next year, what you might want to do, it sounds like you had a, a fairly tight, closed environment in that trash can, which wasn't allowing much oxygen circulation through the, the peat. So you might want to either maybe once a month in the winter open up that trash can, stir the peat a little bit, let any excess moisture that's condensed on the underside of the trash lid to evaporate, and then, oh. and then close it again so that you, you're letting some excess moisture come out. And I think maybe that will help keep that that mold growth from reoccurring so much in the future. Yeah, I was All even right. thinking you could you you could double up um, paper bags and store them that way. Sure, and mm-hmm. that allows that it allows a little bit of breathing there. Right. Without the peat, then put them in no, a double paper bag with and the, put them with in that the same garbage container. With the peat. But just not using the garbage container. Yeah. Yeah. Because you do need to hold some moisture around the canna bulbs so that they don't desiccate over the winter months and and completely die. And that's what the peat does is it helps to hold some moisture around the canna bulbs. But it sounds like maybe you had just a little bit too much moisture in there, and that's why you had so much mold growth. Okay. All right. Great. Good. I'll give that a go. Okay. That's that's great. And I'll plant the bulbs, and we'll see what I get as a result. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for calling. Yep. Thank you for the call, Kathy from Hickman. However, my screen says Kathy from Kickman. Oh, Kickman. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, From Kickman. All right. Listen, we'll be back with more of your calls. We're going to take our first time out, and we'll be right back. This is Yard and Garden Live on Old Red 99.5 and 1310 AM KGMT. And we are back. Bumper music from uh, Katie, who likes Billy Joel. So we got <laughs> Billy Joel for you as a bumper music this morning. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three is our phone number on Yard and Garden Live. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Did I say two? I meant to say three three eight three. Give us a call on Yard and Garden Live and um, taking your questions this morning, Sarah Browning from Lancaster County Extension Office and Katie King from Cass County as uh, Nicole Stoner 
has the day off, and she's probably enjoying herself to no end. I suppose. I, I bet she is. Probably. I, you know, if she's got internet, she might even be listening. Maybe. She could very well be. Or she may be out fishing. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. One thing she isn't doing, she's not weeding asparagus. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. Wanted to talk a little bit about uh, people's asparagus, huh? You bet. Go ahead. Yeah, so it's one of our early spring vegetables that really gets, you know, it's one of the first things that we see in the vegetable garden and that you can harvest. And so if you haven't been out to check on your asparagus yet, you might want to get out there. And uh, there's probably some spears out there for you to harvest. Yes. Um yeah, we were having out. a conversation with Randy during the break about his, your asparagus got a little bit out of hand. Yeah, I, do, I couldn't go out. I don't have a back door. And so I had been neglecting the backyard. And all of a sudden, boom, um, I have asparagus that got all leggy and had to, I just cut it out and threw it in the compost barrel. But uh, I hate to have that happen, you know. Right. Especially yeah. this springtime. Right. Asparagus is so good. Oh, it is. I, I, I did have a question about it. Um yeah, well, like I said, I well, I think I harvested the first time maybe ten days ago. Um, it came up, and then we got some colder temperatures. Um, not, and I looked at it and I went, "Well, it's not so bad because generally, you know, it'll do that bendy thing." Right. But mm-hmm. it wasn't that bent. There was a few that mm-hmm. were, but I harvested a bunch. I brought them in and I cooked them, or and they were mushy. Mm. the spears mm. were mushy and i mean that and i wondered if maybe it was because of the cold weather that they had had to endure i mm. hope it i hope it's that and not something's crazy and and you, you're you're sure that you didn't cook it just a little too long no nope, that's nope. not why it no, got mushy. it went it went it got it got broiled it got it was broken okay. yeah so right. it's generally never mushy well I don't know. That they could have gotten a little nipped by the that could frost. Have Did mm-hmm. it frost that night? Uh, it, it had frosted, be, you know, before. It, it was up and it had frosted a couple of times before I got it cut. So I'm hoping that's what it that is. That could be. Yeah. I'm hoping. But anyway. Yeah. But Do you, you have know, a little microclimate back there? Like you've got a, is it against your house? No, it's, it's no, nope, I don't. It's wide okay. open. Okay. Well, see, that could have been. Yeah, could have definitely could have okay. gotten pretty cold back there. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, but you know, if if you have asparagus that's gotten away from you and it got a little bit too tall before you noticed it was ready to harvest, or if you had some freeze damage like that, you can always just cut it down like you you normally would when you harvest. Just cut the spears down, and you'll you'll have more asparagus that will reappear. Sure, and that will continue um, to be able to be harvested probably for the next month oh, yeah. or so. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. So yeah. plenty of time to, yeah, well, to were, harvest asparagus, there, and there was harvestable, you know. In the in mm-hmm. the big tall stuff that I cut off, and mm-hmm. I saw, yeah, there was so we did get some, but I sure missed a lot. Okay. Here is Shirley from Fairbury. Hi, Shirley. What's your question? Hi. Uh, I have Rome grass growing among my daylilies, and can I use we uh, grass be gone to spray Rome grass to kill it? You can. You can use the grass be gone to um, spray the brome. Now, the, the problem here is that um, daylilies are actually technically a monocot, which is in the grass family, just like brome grass is. Okay. So before you spray it, I would double-check the, the weed be gone label to see if there are any contraindications that say do not spray it on daylilies. Okay. But it, even if the label doesn't say anything like that, I would be 
careful to get as little of the grass be gone on your daylily foliage as possible and just try to spot spray the brome as much as you can um, because there, you know there could there could be some potential damage on the daylilies um, what, what I have found in the past when I've used grass be gone on monocots like daylilies is, is some leaf burning usually it doesn't kill the whole plant but but that's why we're kind of Suggesting that you be careful and try okay. to keep it off the daylily foliage. Okay. All right. right. So it does kill the brome grass, though. No, though, keep in mind, brome is a very aggressive, vigorous grass. I so don't. you're not going to be able to get this in one shot. You're probably going to have to make at least two, maybe three or more applications. So mm -hmm. consider this an ongoing challenge and don't think of it as a, as a one and done. Okay. Another thing that you could try, um, you could pull some of the brome grass and then you could lay down some layers of newspaper and cover oh, that with okay, compost, right. mulch, that kind of thing. Um, and that might help control it. Okay. Try to right. smother it out a little season. bit. Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Good idea. Okay. Yeah. That's Thanks. tough because brome is a pretty vigorous grass. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like to get real creative with Roundup. Uh, in the <laughs> garden, you know, I'll go out with like um, – uh, boxes of cardboard, oh, sure. slabs of cardboard, mm -hmm. and put it up, you know, around to the tomatoes. The yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. If you can do anything like that, that helps too. Yeah. I mean, the, the back, the box, or the cardboard would just serve as a protective cover around your daylilies, mm -hmm. and then you mm -hmm. could spray the brome grass around them. Uh -huh. That would be a good practice. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. good. Thank you so much. You bet. You're good welcome. luck. Uh huh. Thank you. Bye bye. I love Roundup. Yeah. <laughs> it's my best friend. I understand yeah. there's a new uh, product out that's uh, similar to Roundup. Have you? I and I should have saved oh, it. Boy. Never mind. I, Forget it. I I had the email and I was going to save it and then I didn't. You know, there's Roundup and then there are so many variants. You know, right. where they've got all these different chemicals mixed in with the glyphosate, which mm -hmm. is the basic product in Roundup. Yeah. So. There's Roundup Extendamax. There's Roundup. Sure. There's so many different versions of it. Yeah. Um, that's one thing homeowners do need to be careful of is that they they understand what chemicals are in the product that they're buying. You know, some of them have um, um, some pretty, like the, I think it's Roundup Season Control. I can't remember the exact name of the product, but it has um, um, some some chemicals in it that can be harmful to trees and shrubs, and yeah. so you you have to be really careful when you're choosing the Roundup brands. Well, and considering your considering your surroundings too. Yes, some that are specific for around water. Right. That kind of mm -hmm. thing. So right. Yeah. Right. It's important. Yeah. We we get that. So. We get a, uh, questions generally. Once a season, is there anything I can do? I've got cattails in my pond. Right. And uh, there's a specific Roundup product. I think it's uh, branded as Rodeo, maybe? Yeah. It's not, it's not, I don't believe it's made by Monsanto, the actual Roundup manufacturer. It's okay. a different manufacturer. It has glyphosate in it, but mm -hmm. it is called Rodeo, and it is labeled for aquatic sites. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and you're right. I mean, there are so many different types of Roundup now. It, they mix um, any number of things with a glyphosate, but it's, right. I mean, right. that's still the, the big active ingre exactly. ingredient in it. Yeah. Right. You know, and we were talking earlier, Randy, about the asparagus, you know, and, and asparagus weed control we were going to touch on a little bit. Sure. You know, one, so at the end of the harvest season, when you're all done harvesting your asparagus this spring, if you have perennial weeds in your asparagus, one technique that's used by commercial growers sometimes is to use Roundup. So what you do is, so this would be for controlling things like bindweed or ground ivy or, or, or brome. 
or any perennial weed that you might have that has encroached on your asparagus patch. But what you do is you cut all of the stems of the asparagus down. And ideally, you cut them down maybe a half inch to an inch below the soil line so that they're, they're below the soil. And all that's left in the patch is just the weeds. Then you can overspray the whole patch with Roundup, and, and that will um, kill the perennial weeds um, while, the, while the, the foliage of the asparagus is not exposed. And then the, the asparagus will grow back up through it and, it, and it will not be affected by the Roundup. So that's one technique you can use to help with those perennial weeds that tend to get into an asparagus patch. And that can be done before asparagus emerges yep. first thing in the spring if you can catch it when there's not snow on the ground. Yeah, right. exactly. And you know. your weeds have green foliage mm. so that they can take in the, right. the, uh, the chemical. But, but yeah, that's one t- uh, technique that you can use. Yeah, and uh, mulching, preen, right. and mulching. Uh, do that every spring. Mm-hmm. And, and then you just got to stay with it and, you know, battle it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's not a chemical. Sometimes it's just some hand labor. You know, you get out there yes. with a hoe and you just do some hoeing yep. or some mulching or something like that to keep those annual weeds from germinating, those annual weed seeds. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I always call it, it just, it's just the plant that just keeps on giving. Oh, it sure you know, is. Yeah, mm-hmm. after you're done with it in the spring, you let it go and uh, the rabbits move in and all sorts of animals can go have winter overwinter in that and then uh, cut it down in the uh, after oh after the first of the year generally I wait um, and then let it after I cut it I let it lay there for quite some time before I move it out because it's a lot lighter mm-hmm. after it dries down yeah uh, so and that's a little work but oh man the payoff is worth it mm-hmm. if you like asparagus mm-hmm. I guess. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Sarah Browning, Lancaster County Extension Educator, and Katie King from Cass County uh, uh, Extension Educator as well. In fact, is that the the title still? Because you guys sometimes change your titles. Huh? Yeah, Extension Educator is the title that that we have right now. All right, yep. all right, very good. And uh, every once in a while, you'll see both of you. On Backyard Farmer, I would imagine. You haven't done Backyard no, Farmer yet? No, well. Although Katie's done some good video segments for Backyard okay. Farmer. Okay, yeah. well, then yeah. you would yeah. see her on yeah. Backyard Farmer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, then if you're a Backyard Farmer fan, now you can put a, a, a face to the name and the voice. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Anything that's on your mind doesn't have to be asparagus. It doesn't have to be... Vegetable, it could be trees or a uh, problem you had last year. Or funny little trails in your yard when the snow all melted off. How is the vole population <laughs> in uh, in Lincoln and uh, in the bigger cities? Are are they just as uh, just as nasty there as they are out here? I would say very healthy populations. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think the birds are happy. Yeah. yeah. But now that the snow is gone and all their hiding spots are, have reduced, uh, they're, they're probably, and we've got lots of hungry, you know, birds out there. They're mm-hmm. probably getting picked off by the birds yes. now. Yeah. Well, come mm-hmm. at them. It's a buffet. You know? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I couldn't believe it. You know, we had that snow cover for so long. You bet. And they were very active oh, under that man. snow. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What are all these yeah. cracks and trails in right. your yard? But the thing people don't realize is that those tunnels that the voles create in the turf, 
once the turf starts growing, yeah. typically it repairs itself right away, and they go away, and you don't have to worry about it. It's yeah. very seldom where voles would cause so much damage where you would have to do some overseeding. It's yeah. it's just yeah. right. their their damage is usually kind of fleeting and and minor in nature. Right. As is their life. Span. Exactly. Kind yeah. of fleeting. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let me see. We've got Brian from Steel City. And Brian, we'll get to you because uh, first we have Dick from Friend. Hi, Dick. How are you today? I am great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, <laughs> since we're on the Roundup uh, Randy kick, I, I have a question about cordon and a sapling mulberry, for example, that would be in near a uh, blue spruce or something. Can I cut that? mulberry tree out and then spray the cordon on it without damaging the other tree everybody tells me you can't do that and i would agree with them i would not do that the problem with cordon is it has such a long the chemical itself has such a long life it doesn't break down quickly and you can apply it to the stump of that mulberry and it can um it can move down through the root system and then it becomes active in the soil and then the roots of your blue spruce could pick it up, and you could see some pretty significant damage. In fact, you could actually end up killing that spruce. So a better choice that I always tell people as a stump treatment to prevent that mulberry from growing back is just going to be to use Roundup. Use concentrated Roundup, not the ready-to-use stuff, the ready-to-spray. It has to be concentrate. But cut that mulberry down and then paint that freshly cut stump with concentrated Roundup You'll have a very good kill rate on that mulberry, and you shouldn't see any impact on your blue spruce. Okay, That'll, that answers my question. Thank you. Good luck, Dick. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye. I always cringe a little bit when people um, talk, especially in urban situations where you know you're dealing with a, a landscape, where people talk about using Tordon as a stump treatment because mm -hmm. they don't understand the, the length, the life of the, the length, the length of the life of Tordon in the soil and how long it stays active and how easily it moves in soil water. Now, if you're on a farm and you're trying to control, say, weedy trees in a fence line or something like that, it's not as big of an issue. But in a landscape where you've got trees and shrubs and all sorts of other things that are very nearby, um, the potential for damage is just too great. Got to be careful. Absolutely. Here's Brian. Brian from Steel City. Thanks for being patient and waiting. What's your question, Brian? I got a question about a windbreak. Um, I had a windbreak I planted probably 20 years ago. Two rows of cedars, front row of scotch pines. Uh, scotch pines all started dying about five years ago. I ended up just cutting them all out of there because they were dying. Tried to replace them with some Norway spruces. Started that about three years ago. Um, I had to replant a couple times because, you know, the best I've lost about half of them. Then you lose them, you know, replant and lose a few more. But now this last year, even the ones that have been alive for three years mostly have died. Um, wondering if there's something else I can put in front of those cedars in the front row, like a shrub or some other type of spruce that would work better or might work. So... Our, our list of evergreens for windbreak plantings is pretty short list these days, Brian. Um, you know, spruces, um, eastern red cedar. And we have some pines. I mean, we've got like limber pine or red pine or jack pine that could possibly be used.
But if you're willing to think about using some deciduous plants, like a shrub or a, a deciduous tree that will hold its leaves in the winter, you have a much larger plant list to choose from. So you could even just think about common lilac. Um, common lilac is available through your NRD planting program. Um, they're actually, once they're established, they're very tough. Um, and they do have, a, they do develop a very dense nature. So they can provide some windbreak effect um, in those lower layers or those lower levels. Um, and they can be a, a good long-term plant. You know, other plants that you're going to find available through your NRD would be things like um, uh, um, Amer maple, which is another a smaller maple that might be a good choice. Um, uh, I'm blanking a little bit. Carragena, I think, is usually on that list. Um, I think There's there are some plums. Like you could use a black walnut or a bur oak. You bet. Um, bur oak in particular would hold its leaves in the winter, and that, that, that effect of holding its leaves in the winter provides you with some good winter windbreak effect as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the choices available to you if you're willing to think about deciduous trees and shrubs is much, much wider. Okay, okay. I mean, I just didn't know if, like, more of the spruces and stuff, if they're really not all common plants around here, they're just going to be tougher to get going. I mean, no. the, the cedar trees I have there, I mean, they're 20, 25 foot tall, so they're providing good windbreak. The problem is they have the pines in front of them that were also that tall, and a lot of them lower branches on them cedars are, they don't have much vegetation on them, and it just looks kind of shabby. Okay. So, so pro if, probably if, the inside row would be more to cover up the shabby branches on the cedars in front of them. But, okay. yeah, I mean, it, the extra windbreak is great also. I get that. So some of those some of those tough um, shrubs, you know, might be a good option for you in this Absolutely. position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can get yeah. a right. you, like yeah get a hold choke of berry, the choke cherry some yes. of those mm -hmm. are if, really nice. If you can strokes. get a hold of somebody at the NRD, uh, they can help you pick out some of those that would be really good. We had right. Jay Seaton on last week, mm -hmm. and man, he he was a windbreak specialist. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Now the NRD the, the NRD tree seedling program actually kicks off in November. So that's when they open up and they, they start taking orders for the next season. Didn't know so that. So what they have left on hand now in April is probably going to be pretty limited. But you could still contact your NRD, see what plant material they still have available, and if there's anything that you might want to use this year. Otherwise, um, if you're willing to wait uh, just a little longer, then your, your selection of NRD-available plant material is going to be the, the biggest in November. And, of course, you, can, you don't have to rely on NRD plant material. The only reason that we bring that up is because you can buy pretty inexpensive plants through the NRD. But if you're willing to go to a nursery and buy some bigger plants that will be a little more expensive, then go for it. You can certainly do that. Right. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Taking calls, answering questions, anything that you want to talk about. In your landscape, maybe it's a pot that's growing in a, a plant that's uh, growing in a pot in the sunroom. Um, maybe you're looking at your yard going, wow, this looks pretty tough. Uh, I, you know, my yard doesn't look very good right now. Uh, you know, yeah. and we're getting lots of weed questions right now, Randy, about yeah. people's lawns. And um, so there, and there, and there's always confusion. Okay. What does a weed and feed mean? Is that what I need to use to control crabgrass, or does that control dandelions? And what product should I choose? So we get, we get lots of questions about those types of things. And so 
What people should be applying now is the pre-emergent. The, and usually it's a fertilizer combined with the pre-emergent. Now there's an, um, a newer product that's available now to homeowners, which is it's, it's sold by Scott's. It's called Scott's Turf Builder Starter. And it contains a fertilizer plus the chemical mesotrione. And this, that's the new chemical that is available now if, you're, if you have a new seeding. Like say you need to overseed your yard this year um, uh, and you've got, you just put the seed out, then the mesotrione is, is something that will give you good pre-emergent control that will prevent that crabgrass and foxtail and those other annual weeds from getting started. It actually kills those weed seeds as they start to germinate, but it will not kill your grass seed, okay? We used to talk a lot about sigeron and tuppersan as the chemicals to use with a new seeding. Those are not as widely available anymore, and so the, the big product we see on the market now is this mesotrione. So look for that in the Scott, Scott's Turf Builder Starter, okay? Mm-hmm. So then if you have dandelions, okay, dandelions are a broadleaf weed, and honestly, people have to realize that these are not new plants that just germinated and are starting to grow. These are plants that were in your landscape last fall, and they overwintered, so... Um, a pre-emergent is not going to control those because a pre-emergent will not conti- not kill perennial plants. Um, so you need to use a post-emergent herbicide to kill those dandelions. So typically that's your second application that you make in, you know, usually around the end of May, beginning of June. And that that's more commonly what is called a weed and feed is the post-emergent plus fertilizer. Okay. Okay. I think so. we have uh, another caller. Let me see. We have Kevin from Byron. Hello, Kevin. What's your question? Good morning. Hey, I got a question about replanting uh, bur oak uh, seedlings uh, that have grown up in the yard. Uh, we tried uh, moving them from underneath uh, the mother tree uh, into a row, and, and we typically lose most of them uh, in the replant. Uh, didn't know if there's a specific time frame um when to do that uh there's not much of a root system there's a huge tap mm-hmm. root to it um so i'm thinking we're having trouble getting that uh dirt and, and root mm-hmm. uh placement moved burr oaks are one of those the oaks that they don't like to be messed with they don't yeah. like any any disturbance of their root system so it's not surprising really too much that you're having trouble getting them to survive. So I guess I would say try to take as big of a root ball, even though, even though you're not finding a lot of branching secondary roots, still try to take as big of a root ball as you can manage mm-hmm. to move those and then um, make sure that they're, I mean, not constantly soaked, but make sure that you're watering them well once you put them in the new place location to, to make sure that they reestablish as much as possible. I don't know, Katie, do you have some more thoughts on that? I think just including as much of that root ball as you can is the best advice. Yeah. Is it best right now or? I think fall is probably most ideal. Yeah. Um, but now is not a bad time. And by fall, we usually mean, um, well, you, you could probably do it in September, although it might be even better to wait until they have, they have gone dormant and then move them. And that might be maybe mid-October, end of October, but before the ground freezes and then move them then. Um, 
if, if you don't want to wait that long and you want to experiment, if they have not started to leaf out right now, this might be like a secondary time of year that you could try it. Absolutely. But again, Very try true. to take that big root ball. If you're yeah. still not having success, then I would just suggest just plant some acorns. You know, just gather some acorns from those trees and just plant them where you want them to grow and right. you'll get some new seedlings coming up. Okay. That's a good point. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You know, a lot of our tree nurseries, Randy, that's what they do. They go out and they just collect acorns and they just germinate the acorns and then there's the trees that they're going to be selling you in four or five years. Hmm. So Interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. 402-729-3383. We have open lines if you tried to uh, get in and found a, a busy signal. We'll be now. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. All right. Um, so we, Katie and I, we were also thinking about talking a little bit about um, some of our alternative crops in Nebraska. And Katie, you were saying that one of the questions you've been getting is about drift and drift problems on, you know, vegetables, grapes, um, trees. We see a lot of drift damage on trees in the springtime. Um, and what are some of the things that people can think about to try to help mitigate that a little bit? Well, I think it really... One, it begins with communication with your neighbors. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be really tough here Mm -hmm. in Nebraska. Um, But starting with that communication is so important. And Mm -hmm. just letting them know this is what's in my lawn. Right. um, And, you know, working with them um, and being aware of the wind, which is so tough here. I mean. Yeah. We have such windy weather in the springtime. You know, and we we always – train pesticide applicators that they need to be spraying when air air speeds are below 10 miles per hour but it's hard to find a, a lot of days in spring in nebraska when when the wind is that slow um, yeah. but um, if you're making an application in your landscape you know just so that you're aware of the best practices so that you don't damage plants in your neighbor's landscapes is is that target below 10 miles per hour mm-hmm. Um, and be aware of what direction the wind is going so that if there is drift that you'll, you, and you, you have sensitive crops near you, that you're not going to be damaging anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to pay attention to temperatures, too. You know, right. we, we just recently had these major warm-ups. We yeah. were mid-80s, almost 90. Mm-hmm. And too warm for about 2,4-D, right? Volatilization. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's so important, yeah, too. Yeah, we're going to talk about, about that uh, a little bit more. Right now, let's... Uh, uh, we have Joyce, who is in Fairbury right now, with a question. Hi, Joyce. Go ahead. Hi. I have two stock tanks that, for years, we put in um, vegetable garden or whatever. Hmm. Last year, I put down the black paper and then put some mulch on there and planted flowers. But when mowing, the weeds get up in there, and then that's all I have is weeds. Is there something that I can put on that dirt now, because I tore all that out now, that will keep the weeds from coming back so much and just let me plant flowers in there? That kind of surprised me when you said you had weeds in the stock tank, because did you put just garden soil in the stock tank when you were originally filling it with your soil mix? Yeah. Okay, so then that probably had a lot of dormant weed seed in that soil. Probably. Yeah, definitely. So when you plant your flowers in, in these, do you use transplants typically that you buy at a nursery, or are you growing things from seed? Um, both. Both. Okay. Well, you could use pre-emergence. 
um, in the areas where you're using transplants, but you could not use those in the areas where you're doing seed. Okay. So I don't know. Do you kind of mix? Do you kind of mix things together? Mm, not really. I did plant in the one I planted just bulbs. Okay. And I only had like half of them come up, and the rest never came up. Okay. I just had more weeds than anything. All well, right. That could be wildlife could play a role in that. Could. There's a lot of factors yeah. there. Could be. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to look at pre-emergence, you could use um, preen, which is trifluralin, which is a good pre-emergent, and it will, will kill most weed seed as it starts to germinate. If you want to be a little more on the organic side, you could use preen organic, which has corn gluten meal in it. And it's only, it's not, it's not as good of a pre-emergent as the traditional trifluralin preen, but it will give you some weed control effect. But again, okay. you will not be able to get um, plants started from seed in those areas where you apply the pre-emergent. Okay. So, but you could get those little cups, little pea, what is that what they are? And start seeds. Sure. And then transplant yes, the little definitely. seedlings, right? Definitely. You could. And you in could. fact, you can even just kind of rip the bottom out of those and... Mm-hmm. Put the whole thing in. Mm-hmm. Doing that for a couple of years could help with some of the weed pressure. When you're mowing, is debris from the mower being blown up into the beds as well? Yeah. When I mow, I make sure that it's not. But when my grandsons come over and mow for me, they don't care. They don't, you know, they just do whatever. So I, thought you I were think gonna... that's part of it. I thought you so were gonna. Could... I thought you were gonna say, but when my husband moved. <laughs> <laughs> no, my husband passed away three and a half, almost oh, three years ago. I'm sorry so. to hear that. But yeah, so when your grandsons mow and that that debris is getting blown up into the tank, then they they could be introducing more weed seed too. So Definitely. try to get them to not do that as much as possible. But also just think about mulches. I mean, just mulching the soil surface that can help with weed control too. Um, um, you know, you can use, um, well, you said you used black fabric. I mean, another similar method is just to use newspaper. Mm-hmm. Just put newspaper mm-hmm. over. You're not, we're talking about just one piece of newspaper, but usually it's like three or four at least as a layer to, to try to pr- uh, create a barrier for that weed seed from germinating. Um, and then I would put, I'd put the newspaper down, and then I would put mulch on top of it. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, to hold the newspaper in place and also to... Um, Make it look nice. Make your make your planting bed look nice, and and um, so those would be some techniques that I would use to try to get those weeds under control in that planting bed. Okay, sounds good. Thank you very much. Thank you for the call. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Bye. This is Yard and Garden Live. We'll be back with more of your questions. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. We'll be right back. We are back, ladies. How you doing? Doing well. We're getting some good questions this morning. That's great. Oh, you're just chatting away. Mm -hmm. I love it. Uh, The sun's out. People are happy. Yeah, ready to get out in their yard this weekend. And you wanted to go back and revisit the. I did. So we had the the caller just before the break. We were talking about pre-emergence, and I wanted to just um, make sure that people remembered that. So pre-emergence have a specific length of time where they're effective, and then. 
the chemical, once you put it down, it starts to break down, usually from soil microbes or from UV radiation or whatever, but the chemical breaks down. So preen typically is active for about six to eight weeks, and then you need to reapply it. So if you make an application, let's say you make an ap application the first part of May, then you have about two months and you need to make another application. Otherwise, if you don't, you're going to find starting in July, all that weed seed is going to start to come up because the pre-emergent is gone now. Okay, So make sure that you read that label and find out how long the pre-emergent pre is effective and when you need to reapply so that you get good season-long control. And also, while you're reading the label, uh, if, you're, if you're using it in like rhubarb or asparagus, make sure it's it's labeled for that. I think right. there are two yes. different kinds of premium. There are. There's so you don't want to get you want you, you want to get the garden variety right. preen if you're going to put it on something that you're eventually going to bring bring right. in and. Uh, it's always eating. important to make sure that the whatever site or whatever plant you want to apply a chemical to is listed on the label, and it's even more important if it's an edible crop to make sure that the product you're using is listed for use on that edible crop. So. Read Bingo. those labels. Absolutely. Yes. Um, one of the things that I know you guys got a ton of things you want to talk about, and we got time, mm -hmm. but one of the things that we really should talk a little bit about is if you have uh, fruit trees and you, if you care about what the fruit looks like in the fall, <laughs> you got to start thinking about a spray program for your fruit trees. Mm -hmm. uh, apple trees... You get an apple uh, rust. Cedar apple rust. Cedar apple, apple rust. scab are the two big ones on apples. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, mine, apple trees were j just starting to bud. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were tight buds. So I went ahead and uh, made my first application mm, about three days ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and now my pear tree on the other side of the house, it's just in full bloom. And... And I'm really having a love-hate relationship with this guy. I think he might be coming down. Mm -hmm. oh. Just, uh, I know. But uh, it, the, uh, as I understand it, the uh, uh, orchard spray is just kind of a general spray that you can use throughout your growing season. And because there's both uh, disease protection and uh, insect protection as right. well. Fungicide and an insecticide in the in the orchard spray. So yeah, that will help you well, off season. Want to get all technical on me? Yeah, <laughs> you got to be technical. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> you know, I had to look up real quick, Randy, because for some reason, the t the, when you start the applications for apple scab and cedar apple rust, it never sticks in my head. So I always have to look it up to see um, when is the best time to start that control. You know, and I um, looked at it, and it, before it bud, before you have. The buds start to swell. Mm -hmm. You they 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 suggest spraying with a an oil, which I skipped. But I think that's for um, particular. It's usually insect. for overwintering insects, like insects. spider mites right. and some scale insects and things like that's that. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I just did a, did a quick search and I'm finding so green green tip stage is when they would recommend applications start for apple scab and green tip is when the leaf buds have opened and you have just a half an inch of growth on the leaf tips that when you make that first apple scab application you know i've had a lot of um friends who've had trouble with apple scab in their trees and it it's um it, it, it's a lot of it's it's fairly weather dependent so if we have a long wet spring apple scab will be much worse and you'll mm -hmm. need to make more applications Typically, you're going to make those applications about every two weeks. So about every 14 days, you need to make another application. 
Um, and if we have a wet spring, you may end up making five applications. If we have a drier spring, you may be able to get away with three. But um, you just have to keep making applications until we get past the wet spring part of, uh, of our weather. And the same is true pretty much for cedar apple rust. The, the control is very similar for those two diseases, cedar apple rust and apple scab, and you use the orchard spray. Um, I noticed on my drive down here that our ornamental pears are blooming. Mm -hmm. And um, yep. I know last year they got really, really hammered with um, a rust disease. And um, so they would be in the window now, too, for control if you if you needed to spray them, yeah. especially if you had a fruiting pear. Yep. All right. So uh, get ready for a, a full season of spraying those trees. That's if, right. Uh, if you want... Uh, <laughs> If you want a, a good looking fruit in the fall, uh, let's go back to the phone. We got, uh, I have him in my, uh, my phone as stash, uh, because he has a great mustache. Uh, it's actually, uh, Verlin from Beatrice. Hello, Verlin. Hello. How you doing? Oh, good. I, I have an, uh, a question about asparagus. Sure. And then, and then I got a question for you. Oh, yeah, it'll be next week here. Your stuff just came in. <laughs> He's doing my deck. I told oh, you about okay. my asparagus got neglected because I wasn't out in the backyard. Yeah. But anyway, what's your question? Uh, I've had some of these old timers tell me you should put rock salt on your asparagus patch. Is there <laughs> anything to that? Mm. That is a really old-time solution. You know, and people used to use, when, when we would make ice cream at home and the old ice cream makers that you would put um, ice and salt in the ice cream maker, they would use that salty water and they would put it on their asparagus bed for weed control. Oh, we boy. we did that, and, you know, yes, when I was a kid, yes. I remember take that out to the asparagus right? now, and yeah. And the reason that worked is because the asparagus was more salt tolerant than than most of the weeds that would grow in it. So the asparagus would survive the salt, but the weeds wouldn't. But we oh. don't, we really don't recommend that anymore because there does get to be a point where the salt breaks down the soil structure, and you can get to the point where there's so much salt in the soil that even the asparagus won't grow. Okay, so, so you'd be better off just mulching or something. Yes. We talked yes. about some pre-emergent products earlier. We talked about the Roundup technique or just mulch. A any of those would be preferred these days rather than salt. Okay, well, I've always wondered about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah and you bet. can also use preen out there. Really? Yep, yep. All right. Yep, Definitely. Thank you. You bet. Thank okay. you. We'll see you next week. That's fun yep. to, to hear about that old rock <laughs> I salt. I have not heard We've that. Never heard that oh, before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We uh, every year we'll get at least one or two calls, uh, and and there's still people that do it. Yes. And they just you, they're and they're going to continue to do it because that's just the way they are. And I guess if it works for them, fine. But mm -hmm. right. But yeah, you get to a point where the salt just really destroys the soil structure, and and eventually you could actually kill the asparagus. Yeah, and it's mm -hmm. not that the asparagus is immune to salt. No, it's not. It's just tolerant. It's just right. more tolerant, tolerant. Right. than the weeds. Yeah. Right. And we're back with more yard and garden live four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. We also uh, have a call, guys. This is David from Pleasantdale. Hi, Dave. Howdy. Good morning. Uh, my question is, I've got pear trees, and I buy the orchard spray, but pear trees aren't listed on there. So, so what do you use, or do you go ahead and use that orchard spray? If the orchard spray says you can apply it to fruit trees, then... Right, it's got... 
It lists apples, pears, cherries, apples, plums, cherries, but doesn't list pears on it. Okay, but if it uses the generic term fruit trees, then you should still be able to use that product um, on your pears. And are these fruiting pears or are they ornamental? They're eating pears. They're fruiting pears. And, they're okay. deep, and, and some Asian pears. Okay. Then y you should still be able to use it as long as it, it says it, it's listed for use on fruit trees. And then okay. I would follow the directions that they have on the label for apples. Because apples and pears, the, the disease control is very, very similar between those two groups of trees. Okay. Okay. That's a good question. <laughs> I've noticed I had about three or four different varieties of orchard spray, and none of them listed. So. Okay. But they okay. list all the others. Yeah. And I think sometimes oh, okay. that's because, it, you know, so that the way you'd make the applications for an apple versus a cherry would be slightly different. So they might list the different the different um, fruit trees differently just based on the differences in the applications. But since pears and apples are so similar, um, they may not be listed. So Katie just looked up a label here, and do you want to share that information? Yeah, so the label does, it labels fruit and nut trees, and it lists and which, several. which product is this, So Katie? this is Captain Jack's Orchard okay. Spray Concentrate. Bonide. Bonide. And the, Bonide, the Bonide brand and Captain Jack's is a, is a line of products that I have seen a lot in the garden centers over the last couple of years. I've seen it in the garden centers like Earl May and Campbell's and Lincoln. I've also seen it in some of the big box stores like at um, Lowe's or Home Depot. So um, you, you might check for that. And again, it's called Bonide, B-O-N-I-D-E. Captain Jack's Orchard Spray. And happy spraying. Huh? Yeah. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. When you're uh, spraying your your uh, fruit trees, I mean, we talked about drift earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's just really hard to, you know, find a day that is less than 10 mile an hour winds mm -hmm. uh, is the drift from orchard spray something that you really want to be extra careful with or is it uh, one of those things that well it's not going to hurt anything else so i guess go ahead katie it, it's one that you don't have to worry about near okay. as much i think still being conscious of it is sure. important yeah yeah okay doing the applications early in the morning or later in the evening generally when mm, the winds are calm yeah yeah um, that's most true. of the drift problems we have are with herbicides, with weed right. control right. products. And right. since the orchard spray is a fungicide and insecticide, the only thing I would be worried about there would be the insecticide portion to make sure that you're not having drift that could kill pollinators that might be on, you know, exactly. ornamentals nearby or, or wildflowers or whatever that might have pollinators on them. So it is important to keep that in mind. Um, but not the leaf, the leaf issues and the plant death that we sometimes see with herbicide drift. All right, four zero two seven two nine three three eight three four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Last year was a uh, a year where the, a lot of people that had never had a garden decided they were going to put in a garden because they had extra time on their hands with COVID, and if. Uh, uh, people are first time or second time to get your gardens ready to go. Some some uh, items that you might uh, think about growing early or planting mm -hmm. earlier in mm -hmm. your garden. Mm -hmm. What would they? What would that be like? Definitely. 
Well, if we're thinking about starting seeds now, um, so we're probably, you know, around four to five weeks of generally frost-free weather. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, tomatoes, peppers, definitely right now. We started some pepperoncini this week. We started um, okra. We started, gosh, some kohlrabi. Mm -hmm. Um, You can start your... um, well, you can plant your onions out now. You can right. probably put your peas in the ground. I was wondering about now. peas. They kind of like to go in yes. early. so yeah. Peas are very cold tolerant. They're yeah. one of our first spring crops. So yeah. you bet onions, peas, potatoes could all yes. be planted in the yes. ground right now. Um, so you can get those going. Um, plus some of the, if, if you have access to transplants or you've started transplants in your own home, you know, earlier in the season, you could be planting out uh, cauliflower or broccoli, mm-hmm. some of those other cold crops too. All right. Let's go talk with uh, Loy Lyle in Gilead. What's the lunch special today, buddy? Hey, I, uh, I have no idea. I didn't even stop and ask you. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. What's your question? Hey, hey, my son just bought a lot. He's got a peach tree, and there's a volunteer elm tree growing right next to it. And I cut most of the trunk off, but what do I put on the trunk so the elm dies but not the peach tree? Yeah, so that kind of goes back to that question we had earlier about stump treatments. Use mm-hmm. concentrated Roundup. Don't don't use Tordon because you could have – it's very I know, likely. I know I use Tordon because yeah. I knew that kill a peach tree. Exactly. So. You, but you just use concentrated Roundup, not the ready-to-use stuff, but the concentrate. And just make a fresh okay. cut on that elm stump and then paint it with the concentrated Roundup. And as long as you don't splash it around or get any of, get any of it on the peach trunk, you should be good to go. Okay. Well, I thank you very much for your time. You guys have a good day. You too. Yeah, you Thanks too. for mm-hmm. the call. Thank you. You bet. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Hey, be careful with the peach tree. They're going to die anyway. Yeah. In Nebraska, they uh, kind of have a short life. Oh, definitely. But peach trees are, yeah. uh, 20 years on a peach tree is a good long life. It's oh, yeah. So, yeah, they're a short-lived tree for yeah. sure. So you don't want to do anything to hasten the... Uh, the decline of it. That's right. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. So, uh, yeah, early early spring crops. Peas are, are a good one that that can get going. Um, and when you talked about the other, uh, like the tomatoes, and uh, y- you are talking about starting them from seed, and then eventually moving them outside, mm-hmm. which and for me it's just not worth it. You know, it's just not worth it. But you know what, Randy? If, you are, if you're willing to start your own seeds, you have a so much wider range of cultivars to choose from. You know, yes. people like to grow heirloom, heirloom all these wild tomato varieties or, or peppers, and, but, but you have to get them as seed. They're not mm, going to be available right. as transplants. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and the, the, it's not so much, you know, the planting them and bringing them up, but it's the, the you know, how you have to start with letting them out during the day and oh the bring, hardening off bringing them back yeah. and mm-hmm. it's like wham 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 i'm just <laughs> gonna go to a to a nursery and get the plants so uh but a lot of these plants especially tomatoes and and green pepper that you don't want to put those out early because uh they just they don't they'll set there they won't really do anything yeah in there. they in the want cool. that warm soil the warm sun yeah yeah but if you're starting them from seeds, you got to do that early. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. 402-729-3383. And we have Joe in Firth in your backyard there, ma'am. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe, what's your question? You can find out how to control uh, trees in a pasture setting. Okay. Mm-hmm. What kind of trees? Chinese down mostly. Okay. Okay. So I ran across a really great video um, uh, from a, a guy who used to be with Pheasant for, Pheasants Forever. Now he has his own company called Blueprint Conservation. And he was showing how to create a Roundup kill stick for weedy trees in a pasture or a wildflower conservation setting. You might, if you have a chance, you might want to um, Google Blueprint Conservation and see if you can find his video on making a kill stick. Basically, all he did was he put together a PVC pipe that, that ended up having a little spongy tip on the end, and he could put Roundup in the uh, in the PVC pipe. Then they could go around and they could uh, quickly cut down these these uh, weedy trees. Then they could dab the the Roundup on the cut stump, and it was a pretty quick process to go through the pasture. You just walk along, you cut the tree down, dab it with the Roundup, and move on to the next one. Um, but that would be how you would do it. You would basically cut the trees down and do a stump treatment. And and that should take care of it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a neat trick. Yeah. No unpleasant stooping or bending yeah, involved. So it was, yeah, pretty pretty easy yeah. to do without, yeah, a lot of bending and, yeah. and that kind of yeah, thing. Get your weed eater with the blade on it and mm-hmm. whack them off. And, and dab them and move on to the next one. I like so it. So pretty simple process. But Blueprint Conservation is the name of this uh, the company. And he's got some great videos online that show some of these techniques for management of uh, pastures or conservation planning. And so you can just like pour the the uh, Roundup the concentrate right in the top of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. of the PVC, and it, right. it the sponge stops it. But right. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's got, you got a great video on how to how to make this um, kill stick. You know, out of really common materials, sure. very very inexpensive to make, so that you have an easy process to go through the pasture and get rid of these trees. I like that. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. 402-729-3383. If you have a question, need to get us called here and uh, get an answer. Answering your questions, by the way, Sarah Browning, Lancaster County Extension Agent, and uh, Katie King's here as well, mm-hmm. Cass County mm-hmm. uh, Extension Educator. See, I use the word agent again. <laughs> well, don't do that since Green Acres. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no, we still we've changed a, a little bit. Do you? I, I still get it quite a bit. All right. Yeah, it's okay. So, uh, uh, and in case you're wondering, uh, we just went ahead and fired Nicole. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nicole's just on vacation. Uh, had the day off, and so she'll be back next Friday. Are you signed up to do another another I week? I am. I think it's later in July. All right. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Uh, 402-729-3383. We have time for your question if you want to give us a call. Mm-hmm. So, Katie... With these tr- with these seeds that you started, do you have any tips or anything that you want to pass along to people as far as, you know, if they want to plant their start some tomato seeds of a of a great cultivar that they want to grow this year, mm-hmm. how can they go about doing that? You know, so this year um, we're starting a garden out in Cass County, and um, so we we've used two different methods to start seeds, and um, so we started with potting mix basically, and. Um, had to, we had some challenges with wetting it, which is mm-hmm. very common. Mm-hmm. Um, and so second round, we decided to get those, um, they're basically like peat moss pucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find them in a lot of your garden centers and you soak them and they expand and you just put the seeds right in. 
um, and they they really help with that seed to soil contact, which yeah. is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of the seeds that we've planted, um, we planted nasturtium. Uh, cool. We started some nasturtium seed, which is fun, you know, especially for kids. But it's also, you know, it's an edible flower, right. so you can kind of dress up your meals a little bit this spring and summer. Um, but those seeds need some kind of scarification. And um, so we used a nail file to mm-hmm. kind of spruce them up a little bit. Kind of nick um, up the outer coat so that that water gets in and the seeds can germinate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but I I don't know if I'll ever go the route of buying bags of soil anymore because these little peat pucks were just super convenient. and. Yeah. Um, and they do stay wetter longer. And then when you go to water, they basically, they just sit in a solid tray. So you just pour water in the bottom. And, and they just soak up the water then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, very easy. Um, then do you use. have a greenhouse where you're growing these seeds? Or are you just have a windowsill? Or what are you using? No. So we've got a nice little um, setup with a grow light. Okay. Um, and it's, it has a little timer on it. And we did... Um, we also put a heat mat mm-hmm. underneath um, just to kind of push things along a little yeah, bit. Yeah, having that excess bottom heat can get those seeds going quicker. Yeah, so first round we did not use one. And I will say that if you're looking for a heat mat, they're tough to come by this year. Oh, so probably that demand. Another one mm-hmm. of those things where everybody's yeah. growing at home and so they're hard to find. Yeah. Um, but we did find one um, at a small hardware store, so that was great. Nice. Um so that's something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. You'll have to have some time if you need to end up ordering one of those. So how do you how do you determine when it's time to take your little babies out and let them sit out on the back porch and get a little well, outside? Usually things need about a week of acclimating. Okay. Outside, I usually I usually say about a week, um, and. You know, our spring conditions with the wind and that kind of thing, that harsh sun, it, it can be a lot for the plant. So giving them, you know, starting the first day, maybe you give them like two or three hours outside. And by the end of the week, you're giving them eight to ten hours outside. Um, and they should be pretty well prepared to be and transplanted outside. After eight to ten hours being uh, the youth generally hardened enough that you can take them out and just put them in the ground then. Yeah. Um, and... You want to make sure that soils are warm enough. You're yeah. out of that frost window. You know, we uh, some people get a little anxious, and we have things like row covers, um, which are always great for spring. Like right now, there's people that are growing things like lettuce, and yeah, um, you can easily just lay a row cover down, one or two layers, mm-hmm. and you should be pretty good to go. Right. Um, I I think they're calling for a frost in eastern Nebraska, maybe Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. There's a chance of one, and so well, you know, yeah. Our forecast, uh, I believe, Tuesday night says, uh, you know, in the morning a chance of rain mixed with snow, uh, but the temperatures are going to get up into the 50s by that afternoon. So right, right, mm-hmm. right. It's nighttime temperatures that, that hurt us. Right. Yeah. You know, if, if the listeners are not familiar with row cover fabric, it's a it's a really finely kind of poly spun white fabric and you can get it in different weights and the heavier weights provide more temperature protection. The lighter weights have less temperature protection, but you can either just lay it over the soil or you can, um, I've seen some gardeners take really slender PVC pipe that's very bendy and cut it into sections and make a hoop over the row and then lay the row cover fabric over the top of the PVC, creating almost like a really mini low tunnel Mm -hmm. over the the planting of your seeds 
but um, it can keep it can keep bugs away. It can keep wildlife away. It can provide some temperature protection. So row cover fabrics can do a lot of good things for us, in, especially in the early season garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, later in the season, it's great for insects. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. things like kale or right some of those crops that can it have some get really affected by right really mm-hmm. get munched on. Yeah. So, yeah. I was also going to mention, Randy, we have a publication uh, through one of our Nebraska Extension um, NEB guides on vegetable seed storage and germination requirements. And this publication talks about what soil temperatures each type of seed germinates best Mm -hmm. under. Um, And so you can find that if you want to go online. You can find it at go.unl.edu slash seed storage. And you'll find this publication that has the the soil temperatures on it. And then if you want to check out... um, uh, our Crop Watch website, which is cropwatch.unl.edu, you can find soil temperatures for your area, which are updated every week from the um, Nebraska Climate Office, and you can see what the generalized soil temperatures are for your county. So you know, okay, is it time to put my tomato transplants out yet, or do I still need to wait a little bit longer? Um, but you can you can figure out what those soil temperatures are. Yeah, uh, and also. Uh, there's also a uh, place that you can check. Uh, it's what, Drift Watch. Yeah, Drift Watch. Mm-hmm. If you uh, have an acreage, it would be mostly for people who have an acreage out in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can you go there and they find out what other things mm-hmm. might be. Mm-hmm. Might be. Well, uh, if, if we uh, have any people out there who are growing any alternative crops, like if you have grapes, you're maybe you're growing. Like it could just be for your own production, but especially if you're growing them commercially and you're trying to earn some money off of these grapes or you're growing, well, and hops is the new crop, you know, is the new popular crop in Nebraska, hops. And then, of course, hemp is, is behind it, too. Mm-hmm. But those are the crops that are most prone to herbicide damage from drift in the springtime. And so we would really encourage growers of those crops to go to Drift Watch and register their sites so that any applicators that are making pesticide applications can find them and know that there's a sensitive crop in the area, mm-hmm. um, that's going to really be important so they oh, yeah. can help to protect their crop. Well, well I, I believe to register, you have to be selling any amount. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be a commercial producer. Oh, gotcha. Okay. okay. So all right. And beehives. You can all, uh, if you raise bees, you can also yes. register yourself okay. with Driftwatch. Yeah. That's... Uh, just uh, lost power here at the studios, but we're still on the air. I'm not sure why. Gary, can you hear us? Uh, yes, I can. You got a question? I, Go ahead. I, uh, yeah. Okay, I talked to you uh, folks last year about uh, pine wilt on a uh, ponderosa pines, mm-hmm. and the solution was copper. Okay, I, I think there's a little confusion here because pine wilt is a fatal disease. There, once a tree is infected with pine wilt, and it's actually it's a nematode which actually kills the tree, but once the tree is infected, there's no treatment. The tree will die. There are a couple of fungal diseases. There's dothostroma, needle blight, and there's diploidia tip blight, which we see both of those very commonly on ponderosa. And those can be controlled with copper fungicide applications or uh, propraconazole um, or various other fungicides you'd find at a garden center. You're you're cutting out. I'm on a cell phone. Yeah, you're kind of uh, cutting out on us, too. So Yeah, I will maybe... I guess the question was, I have, I'm talking about ponderosa pines. Yes. And, okay, now I hear you good. Uh, 
So, so Ponderosa my is very... My trees are, are too big to really spray, for me to spray them anymore. But I have some younger ones, ladder, five, six, seven years old, five foot tall, let's say. Uh, should I go ahead and spray them? No, I would not. Because, first of all, I don't think the problem you're having is pine wilt. Because we don't typically see pine wilt in ponderosa pine. Ponderosa is one of our native pines. And it's pretty resistant yes. to this disease. Uh -huh. I think what you're having problems with are, are are there two fungal diseases, either Dothostroma needle blight or Diploidea tip blight. Those diseases are not generally active on young trees, like you're describing. Five-year-old trees would, would not be affected. We see those diseases most commonly in older, mature um, windbreak plantings. So at this point, I would say no. It's probably not worth your time and money to spray those young trees. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, Gary, I, we appreciate the call. That, uh, yeah, thank you. You betcha. Good. I think maybe the whole south side of the square is without power. Oh, boy. But I can't understand why we have power in the control room. It's very, very strange. <laughs> Back in a flash. Okay, so uh, very, very strange here at the studio sitting here. Uh, the power is off on the south side of the square, we understand. Uh, we have a huge battery backup that will uh, run for just a little bit longer, just long enough to uh, thank uh, thank you two for coming down and doing Yard and Garden Live. My pleasure. It's always well, fun to be here with us. you, Randy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really having trouble seeing now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <In the> dark. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of dark. Um, next week, I do believe Kevin from SCC will be here along with uh, uh, Chelsea Tejan and uh, Kevin Christensen. They are uh, both uh, instructors of agronomy at SCC in Beatrice. So they will uh, be here answering questions for you. And I guess until uh, next time, uh, keep it green and keep it growing. And we'll talk to you next time, Friday, 10 o'clock for Yard and Garden Live.